Good morning. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. It is good to see you. There are more of y'all here than I was expecting, so it is good to see you, good to be in church uh, together. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as senior pastor here at White Plains. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. You're an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your family this week as our guest. I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. I do want to say pardon our dust a little bit. Maybe you've noticed uh, we are remodeling our kitchen, and we're right in the middle of it, and it's going to turn out great, but right now it's just a little messy. And um, I can't wait for you to see the finished product. Give us a couple more weeks, and then we'll raise those garage doors back there and, and show it off. But it is, it is already looking really, really good, and uh, I can't wait for you all to see uh, what it looks like. But there is a little bit of dust, so I apologize for that mess. Um, this morning, we're going to be doing a, a child dedication, and I want to uh, go ahead and invite up our kids' ministry director, Lacey. I want to invite up our student pastor, Cooper Guy, and the Lee family. This morning, we're excited to welcome the Lee family uh, with us this morning up on the platform. Many of you all family, Greg and Candace Lee are the parents of Ava, Maddox, and Charlotte. This morning, as a church family, we're going to be joining the Lees in dedicating Maddox and Charlotte to God. We are entrusting to God the spiritual care of these kids, that they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior that they would one day serve God as a follower of Jesus. In dedicating children, we also lift up the parents. Parenting is difficult. For those of us who have parented kids, you realize that. I commented to Candace just a few weeks ago that I really miss my kids at the ages that her kids are at. And she quickly said that she had four hours of sleep the night before. <laughs> and she gently reminded me how much work it is the parent young children. We'll pray for Greg and Candace this morning that God will strengthen them and give them wisdom as they parent this lovely family. We'll also recognize that as a church, we have a responsibility in bringing the gospel to these kids to support these parents. This morning as a church family, we're going to promise to them to love them and to care for them setting examples of Christian love and being there for them to support them as they need. Lacey's going to read some passages. Psalm, Psalm 139, 14 through 18 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw un my unformed substance in your, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was one of, none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O, o God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, 
they are the most they are more than the sand i i awake and i am still with you deuteronomy 6 4 through 7 says hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and these words that i command you today shall be in your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the by the way and when you lie down and when you rise Greg and Candace, please answer, I do. Do you recognize that Maddox and Charlotte are gifts from God created in his image? Do you thank God and glorify him for the gift of your children? Do you dedicate today your children to God and pledge to make known to them the word of God and show them by example the love for God and his word? Do you ask God to bless your children's life and keep them safe from the evil one and to direct their steps throughout their life? Church, please answer, yes, we will. Will you offer your love and support to this family while praying for and encouraging them regularly? As you are able, will you teach and by your example help Maddox and Charlotte grow up in the knowledge and love of Jesus. Yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we as a church family come alongside Greg and Candace and dedicate to you their children. We believe that your love for them will draw them to a saving knowledge of you one day. Will you watch over this family? Will you help these children respond to your grace early in life by trusting in Jesus and protecting them from evil? Will you strengthen Greg and Candace by giving them wisdom to parent their children? Thank you for the gift of family, our families at home and our family here at church. Bind us closer together as we continue to follow after Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Lee family, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Greg and Candace, on behalf of the White Plains family, we want to present you with these certificates of dedication as well as this gift to remember today's dedication. White Plains, we cannot pass up this opportunity to continue to celebrate, so we will have a cookie reception in the lobby after service today for you to encourage and pray for Greg, Candace, and the kids. Thank you, church. Thank you for coming alongside this family and modeling for them the love that God has for them. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. Have you had a fun week learning at home? Students, have you had fun learning at home? Are you learning at home? <laughs> has anybody played in the snow this week? It is, it is difficult, but... but there's an adult that raised their hands. 
So that's good. Um, kids, I want to tell you that uh, the Ralphie's trip that's coming up, we're super excited about it. February 3rd from 1 to 3, I want you to know that someone in our church has offered to pay for everyone to go. So uh, it, it won't cost you a thing. And so I'm, we're very thankful uh, for that. And if you're wanting to go to Ralphie's with us as, as kids, this, this, that's the offer, not, not for the adults, but for the kids. If you're wanting to go and you were afraid, your parents might have been afraid of the cost or whatever, uh, that's not a worry. So uh, join us on the, the 3rd. Let Lacey know if you're able, if your parents are, let you go. Uh, we're super excited about that. Um, and we're, we're very thankful for this, this generous uh, person in our church to offer to pay uh, for everyone to go. But uh, kids, thank you for being with us this morning. You're dismissed to go to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in grades uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick them up in the lobby after our service is over. As they're leaving, I would like to invite you back out to our church this afternoon. It's a busy day here at White Plains. We're going to be baptizing Rob Harrington over in the chapel at 2 o'clock. Uh, we'll show the video of his baptism next week. But I wanted to extend the invitation to you to join us and his family uh, this afternoon as he publicly declares his faith in Jesus. It, again, that's going to be at 2 o'clock this afternoon over in the chapel. If you're watching us online this morning, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being with us. I understand that it's been an odd week and weather has uh, prohibited some uh, from joining us this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but it, it, it seems like it's about a, about a month ago that we got together here last week. It's been a long week. It's been a weird week. It's reminded me of the first week of quarantine, really. Just everything's been different. My wife has all but banned me from going to the grocery store. I've, just like in COVID, during lockdown, I would go to the grocery store and just buy all the junk food I could have uh, or I could find just, just in case. I don't know what the in case was for, but I felt the need to have lots of donuts in our house this week, lots of ice cream, and, and all the stuff that she doesn't let me have. Um, <laughs> But since I was the one going out, I was the one who got it. But um, for those of y'all who may be still at home and uh, afraid to get out or unable to get out, if you need anything, would you let the office know? Would you uh, call or email Heather? If you need anything, we're happy to, to, um, to offer that and bring donuts or ice cream to you um, or healthy stuff, bananas, I don't know. But, um, but we want to... We wanna, be there for you. If you're unable to get out and you need something, the church is here for you. And so we we'll just let Heather know in the office this week. I know warmer weather's coming, but, but it has been a long week and maybe you've eaten all the good stuff out of your house and you just need a little bit more. But uh, that's one of the purposes of the church is, is to love each other. And so this is one way that we might can do that uh, this week. So we're in our series, How We Got Here. We're quickly looking through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we're here, it's hopefully helping us form an introduction to the rest of the Bible. Now, what happens in these first 11 chapters of Genesis gives us a framework to better understand the rest of the Bible. The Bible has many stories telling one big story, and that's the story of God rescuing people like you and me. And he rescues us to bring us back into the holy work that God has created us for. You were created to be loved by God. You were created to do work alongside God, work that's reserved for God and for his people. 
We call that holy work. That, was, that is your purpose, to be loved by God and to do holy work alongside Him. And, and this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most important, if not the most important chapters of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis 3 this morning. What happens in Genesis 3 is foundational to everything else in the Bible. The effects of what happens in Genesis 3 is still felt this very moment in every human life across the planet. Understanding Genesis 3 is vital to understanding our need for Jesus and our struggle in following Jesus. Genesis 3 accounts for all the evil that's ever been perpetrated on this earth and all the future evil that will happen. It all starts right here in our passage this morning in Genesis. Genesis 3 and the reality of our sin is not a feel-good message. In fact, many pastors and churches will avoid preaching on this topic, the reality of sin. You don't become popular, you don't become well-liked, when preaching a message of your hearers' inherently evil inclinations. The church must teach Genesis 3. The church must teach sin. The church must teach what the Bible teaches about this topic, original sin and its ongoing consequences in every human life ever lived or that will ever live. Now this like the rest of the Old Testament, was originally written to the people of Israel. In their rebellion against God, the Jewish people have distanced themselves from God and His Word in that they no longer believe in the idea of original sin. They don't, they don't believe what's taught here in Genesis 3. They believe, like many secular humanists, that people are born good. This morning in Genesis 3, we will see the beginning of sin in creation. We will understand that it's the beginning of sin in ourselves. In the coming weeks, we're going to see what starts in Genesis, in Genesis 3 explode. Of, there's an explosion of sin throughout all of human history. Sin is very real. It's active in every human, including those in the church. Let's look at the first six verses of Genesis 3 this morning. Now the serpent was crafty, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Let's pray in response to this, what we just read. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the heaviness of what we just read, the truth of what we just read, even though it's not something we would want to read or want to know about ourselves, we acknowledge that we are just like this woman and her husband, sinful. Forgive us as we sin. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. But help us to recognize the reality of sin in our lives this morning. Help us to look at your word this morning and see the truthfulness that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we get into Genesis 3, let's, let me remind you of what God said just before this in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the truth. This is what God actually said. This is the standard for what plays out in Genesis 3. It's important for us to know what God says because this statement is the focal point of Genesis 3, of what the serpent and the woman discuss. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 are so important to us this morning that I've, I've got them in your bulletin, in your notes, so that you can refer back to them as we look at how the woman says God said, or what the woman says God said, and what the serpent says God said. Let's start with what the woman said. This is Genesis 3, 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What do you notice that's odd or different here? The woman adds to what God says, doesn't she? Could the woman touch the tree and still live? Yeah, that's not the prohibition. God only says that eating of the fruit would cause certain death. Now, do we ever do something like this? Do we believe or act in a way that says what God says is open to human modification? Do we add to what God says? Do we allow others to add to what God says for us? The Pharisees would do this. They would take the law, the law what God gave them, and then they would add laws around it. The hope was to protect the people. If you didn't break a man-made law, then the idea was you couldn't break the God-given law. That's the idea. We don't see that playing out very well, though, do we? Not in the Pharisees' time and not here in the garden. Best case scenario, we've got Eve, or the woman, acting as a Pharisee might one day. She's adding to what God says in hopes to not break the command that God gives. It's noble, 
but it's not going to work. Remember that laws or rules that we put on top of the Bible, even if they're aimed to keep us from sinning, will not keep us from sinning. Keeping additional laws added by man don't increase God's love for us either. Let's continue in verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent directly contradicts what God says. Then claims to better know what God meant or what God knows. Can you imagine? Actually, I guess it is easy to imagine because people do this all the time, don't they? We hear this line of thinking to this day. Someone will directly speak against what God says in his word and then justify it by claiming to understand what God really meant. Is if God isn't honest or if God isn't clear. God is completely honest in his word. God is very clear in the Bible, in his expectations of our behavior. The serpent is deceiving the woman. In your notes, the serpent claims to speak for God. The serpent claims to speak for God. I realize that our students haven't been in school this week. Our teachers have been probably working from home as well. So I want to give you a pop quiz, if that's okay. I'm going to give you a pop quiz this morning. Don't worry, this is not pass or fail. You'll be, you'll be okay even if you get these questions incorrect. I just want to gauge your understanding, which is what a pop quiz is really for, isn't it? To, to help gauge the understanding. So pop quiz this morning. How many books... Are there in the New Testament? Google will help you if you don't know. You could quickly Google this. If you're a fast counter, open up the table of contents. But how many books are in the New Testament? It's an open book pop quiz. The New Testament has, if you want to write this in your notes, or if you already have the answer, go ahead and write your answer. The New Testament has 27 books in, in the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. How many of these 27 books mention false teaching or false teachers? That's a little bit harder. Google will also help you with this if you want to Google that. Of, tw- of the 27 books in the New Testament, how many of them mention false teachers or false teaching? You may be saying, Gary, we've talked about this. We've covered false teachers. We, we looked at this in Jude, and I think we also looked at it in 1 Timothy. Yes, we did. How many books in the New Testament mention false teaching or false teachers? So why bring it up again? You're beating this thing to death, Gary. It's fair. It's a fair point. But it will be made clear on why I bring it up again this morning in just a moment. Of the 27 books... In our, have you Google? I'm giving you some time to Google. That's, that's what I'm trying to do here. Have you, have you discovered how many books in the New Testament? 
mention or bring up false teachers or false teachers. Of the 27 books, 26 mention false teaching or false teachers. That's all but one. Now, you can get bonus pop quiz points if you can list the one that doesn't mention it. Even more if you can pronounce it right. Philemon or Philemon or Philemon, however you want, however you want to say it. That one doesn't mention false teaching at all. It has a different message, a good message, but it does not mention, that, that short little letter does not mention false teaching. When you think about 3 John, a super short book mentioning false, 2 John, as short, mentioning false teachers and false teaching. 27 books in the New Testament, 26 of them mention false teachers and false teaching. Now, before I got here as your pastor, did you ever consider the threat of false teachers to your walk with God? Probably not. Before I got here, I didn't spend much time thinking about false teachers at all either. As my heart has continued to grow for you, as my love has deepened for you and for this church, and as my mind is focused on the Word of God, the threat of false teachers continues to rise to the top of my mind. I've said it to you this in the past, and I say it to you again this morning, because in Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5, we have a serpent claiming to speak for God. And then we have a woman believing him, or listening to him. The serpent claims to speak for God, and in doing so, some, says something that's contrary to what God actually says. Then tries to explain away what God really meant with what he said, and we have someone listening to him. False teachers claim to speak for God. False teaching, like the work of the serpent here, isn't clearly identified by the audience. A false teaching is a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a big problem. But false teaching alone is not the only problem. The serpent could say what he said, and by itself would not have been the start of the fall. Let's continue in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. False teaching alone does not lead you to sin. False teachers will be held accountable for their false teaching and for what they say and how they teach. But we cannot blame false teachers for the whole of our actions. Just like here in Genesis 3. In your notes, our internal desires for sin overtake our desire to obey God. This woman was not tricked by the serpent. She was not tricked into eating of the fruit. She wanted the fruit. She desired the look of the fruit. She wanted what it would do for her. 
She was not tricked. She willfully ate the fruit. False teaching may feed our, our desire. It may quicken our action to sin. But the real problem is not that false teacher. It's what's inside of us. It's what was inside the woman. It's what's inside of you. It's what's inside of me. This morning, if you were looking to walk out of a church building feeling good about life or inspired for the week ahead, for the week ahead, Genesis 3 will do that, but right now it's rough. We'll give you some hope in just a moment, but I've got to drag you down to the very core of the evil that lives inside each one of us. We ordained Cooper last week. He's now our student pastor. And it's clear that he has God's call on his life for ministry. I'm thankful for the way that he encourages us before we leave each Sunday. I am very interested to see what he pulls out of this message and how to encourage you on our way out before we go. Now there is hope here, and I know that Cooper will find it. It's coming, but we must set in our sinfulness for a little bit this morning. We must do that to begin to understand the hope that is coming. We must realize our brokenness to acknowledge our need for Jesus. Apart from Christ, that is, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not living your life with Him as your Lord and Savior, apart from Christ, your internal desires will always overtake your desire for God. But what's even more, even with Christ, even if you're following Jesus, even if you're trusting Jesus to save you and to forgive you and to be your Lord, even with Christ, your internal sinful desire will wage war against your desire to obey God. And it will sometimes overtake your desire to obey God. In your notes, sin, even when it is forgiven, will still cause you to disobey God. Sin, even when it is forgiven, so speaking to the Christian, sin will still cause us, as Christians, to disobey God. Now you probably realize this, this isn't new, you may not want to think about it very much, but it's... This is truth. This is the Bible. If you've been following Jesus, you have probably fallen into sin more often than you'd like to admit, haven't you? We all have. For some of us, it might have happened on the way to church this morning. In all honesty, some of us may be thinking sinful thoughts even right now. I told you this wasn't really a feel-good message. It will be later, I promise. But right now, it's rough. Let's look at Genesis 3, 7 through 13. We need to get to, we need to, get to the, the relief part here of some of this guilt we may be feeling. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. 
the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The hope's not here yet, but it's coming. I promise, there's hope coming. We see that after this couple sinned, that part of what the serpent said actually happened. This is a problem. Because false teachers will speak half-truths. Their eyes were opened. This is what happens. False teachers teaching half-truths. The serpent, in an attempt to speak for God, spoke some truth. Part truth, but not the whole truth and not the biblical truth. Here's the other thing. The woman, in her desire to become like God, in part became more like God through this action. But she did so in rebellion. She did so in her sin. And it did not produce the result that she was looking for. In her immediate gain of knowledge, shame followed. Both the woman and the man realized something they did not know before. They realized they were naked. Shame followed. Now shame was a new feeling for this couple. And they attempted to hide their shame and their nakedness with fig leaves. In your notes, with sin came shame. With sin came shame. Sin is rightfully shameful. All sin is shameful. Before God, all sin is equally shameful and equally separates us from God. This is not because of the sinful action or the sinful thought itself, but it's because of to whom the sin is against. All sin is committed against God. Sin can be committed against other people, for sure, but even sin that's committed against other people, that sin is still committed against God. With sin came shame, and with shame came blame. When confronted with their sin, what did they do? Do you ever do this? Do you ever blame someone else for your actions, your sinful actions? The man and the woman blame. Now look at who they blame. The man blames the woman. And to an extent, he blames God himself. The woman blames the serpent. She claims to be deceived, but we know that she wasn't deceived because she wanted what it gave her. More can be said, much more can be said here in Genesis 3. We could spend weeks in Genesis 3, but let's get to the hope. Let's finally get to the hope, please. I need 
to hear this hope. Let's look at verses three, or chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is much more than just a talking serpent getting punished here. The serpent, we're going to find out later in Revelation 12, is Satan, is the devil. You probably already knew that. So when we read about the enmity between the serpent and the woman, we're not to understand this as a fear of snakes and snakes' fear of us. We are to rightly understand this is spiritual warfare between the spiritual realm of fallen angels and demons and the earthly realm of humanity. We are in a war with the spiritual realm. And it starts here in Genesis 3. Wars are not cute. Wars are not friendly. Wars are bloody. Wars are awful. You are in a war. Even as you follow Jesus, especially as you follow Jesus, you are on the front lines of this war. Death happens because of war. Destruction happens because of war. We've seen this on our screens with Ukraine and Gaza. Death and destruction are part of war. We are in a war. This war that we're in is because of our internal desire to sin. The dark spiritual realm wants to feed that desire. They want you to do what you, your desire wants. Our internal desire, even as we follow Jesus, is it against God. But there is hope. I've been promising hope. There's hope. This is the hope that we've been waiting for. Here's the hope that you and I desperately need to hear this morning. God promises to be with you in this battle. God promises to fight this battle for you. God promises to win the battle. In your notes, Genesis 3.15 points us to Jesus. As soon as sin is revealed in his creation, God promises that he will fight the battle and that he will win the battle with Jesus. As soon as sin pops up, Jesus' need for humanity, humanity's need for Jesus, pops up. God did not wait. He points us to Jesus. God promises to be with us in the battle. God promises to fight the battle for us. And he promises to win this battle. 
side note, I mentioned that Revelation 12, 19, the whole chapter of Revelation 12 is this battle. It is this battle. Genesis 3 points us to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 speaks of Genesis 3. Spend some time in these two passages this week. It'll be difficult to understand Revelation. It's prophecy. It's not clear. But it is, as you read it, you can understand it. Especially if you have the knowledge of Genesis 3 to help feed into Revelation 12. Clarity will come, and that's why we're spending time in these first 11 chapters of Genesis so that the hard parts of the Bible can become clearer. In Revelation 12, you'll see that it is speaking about Christmas, about the incarnation of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus coming to earth, being born of a virgin, being made incarnate incarnate, in the fall of the serpent. Genesis 3 and Revelation 12 are a great study of the promise made and promise fulfilled. This morning, I think it's appropriate for us to spend some time in confession. We all sin. If you haven't thought about your sin this morning, I don't know that you've been listening. We all have sin in our lives. Let us not let it go unconfessed this morning. We all need to continue to trust Jesus to fight our battle of sinful desire. Listen to this from Galatians 5:19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. If you're not sure what sin you've been struggling with, this list is a helpful place to start. If it's not listed in that list, it falls into that last category of things like these. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. We're not going to sing anything this morning. We're going to have some instrumental music playing, and so not to distract from searching our heart and confessing to God. If you would like to come forward to confess, you are welcome to do that. If you want to stay in your seat and confess to God, you're welcome to do that as well. Let's pray quietly and confess. I will open us up in prayer, and after a few minutes of instrumental music and confession, I will close us in a prayer. Let's pray. God, we come to your word and we realize the reality of our sin. We realize that there is internal desires in us that are not for you. In fact, they are against you.
Sometimes these internal desires express themselves in sinful thoughts or sinful attitudes or sinful actions. Forgive us. As we want to follow you, we are unable without your help. We thank you for Jesus who forgives us of our sin. And it's only because of him we can come to you this morning and confess the sin that still remains, the evil thoughts, evil actions. Take a moment as the instruments play and quietly confess to God. to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God, we thank you for Jesus, that he wins this battle for us. We thank you for Jesus and that he is the one who defeats the evil one. It is not us. It is him. 
And as we follow after Jesus, help us to continue to trust in Jesus to go before us and fight the battle that we're in. Thank you for walking with us and being with us in this battle. Strengthen us to acknowledge the sin that's in us, to confess it to you regularly. Let this not just be a one-time thing, but help us to examine our heart on a regular basis and to confess, to agree with you that the thoughts that we have at times that are not of you are sinful, that some of the actions that we do that are not brought by our heart for you are sinful. Thank you for forgiving us. As Christians, as those who follow Jesus, we rest in Christ's redeeming work. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. Remind us of that daily. It is in Jesus' name that we There is hope. We got there. Jesus is that hope.